Welcome to Digital Detectives, reports from the battlefront. We'll discuss computer forensics, electronic discovery, and information security issues and what's really happening in the trenches. Not theory, but practical information that you can use in your law practice, right here on the Legal Talk Network. Welcome to the 141st edition of Digital Detectives. We're glad to have you with us. I'm Sharon Nelson, president of Sensei Enterprises, a digital forensics, managed cybersecurity, and managed information technology firm in Fairfax, Virginia. And I'm John Simic, vice president of Sensei Enterprises. Today on Digital Detectives, our topic is Iltacon Roars Back in 2022. Here's what you missed. Today, our guest is Doug Austin, an established e-discovery thought leader with over 30 years of experience providing e-discovery best practices, legal technology consulting, and technical project management services to numerous commercial and government clients. Doug has published a daily blog since 2010 and has written numerous articles and white papers, receiving the JD Super Reader's Choice Award as a top e-discovery author and top cybersecurity author. Doug has presented numerous webcasts, events, and conferences, including Legal Tech New York, Iltacon, Relativity Fest, University of Florida eDiscovery Conference, Master's Conference, and many local and regional conferences. It's great to have you back with us again, Doug. Great to be here, John and Sharon. It seems like it's been a while, but great to be back. Well, thank you. We really appreciate you being here. And we've had kind of a long, dry spell with in-person conferences. So why did you decide to attend ILTACON this year? You know, I go almost every year, and, and I've been going since it was LawNet, and it was in Palm Springs each year in the late 90s. This year, it was at the Gaylord in National Harbor, Maryland, which is one of my favorite locations for ILTACON. And I've always liked going to Iltacon because it's unique in that it's largely run by industry professionals who volunteer their time to coordinate sessions at the conference. They always have a great educational curriculum, and this year was no different. So that's certainly one of the reasons I like to go. You know, they have their slogan, Peer Powered, and the volunteers do a great job of really shepherding the educational content and the activities, and it's always a great opportunity to see familiar faces. So this year's Ultacon, I would say, was probably the first conference I've attended since 2020 that really felt like conferences before the pandemic. It was completely full at 3,000 attendees, and they were even turning attendees away, which is not only what Ilta was saying, but I actually spoke to a couple of people who couldn't get tickets. So it was great to see some people who actually hadn't been to a conference since before the pandemic, and it was great educationally, as well as great to catch up with old friends and meet some new colleagues. Well, Doug, you kind of alluded to this a little bit, that conferences have obviously changed here in the last several years. But how about this year's Iltacon? How did it compare to last year's? Well, if I could sing, I would probably sing something like, what a difference a year makes. But uh, I can't. <laughs> that's I that's can't, not bad. That's <laughs> uh, not great. Uh, and I, I better stop singing or no one will listen beyond this point. But, uh, I, you know, certainly, I mean, last year, Iltacon got dealt a bad hand, which is sadly appropriate because the conference was in Vegas. So, you know, mm. last year, of course, <laughs> I know, but it, it was kind of true. I mean, last year, of course, we were at the height of the Delta variant about the time that Iltacon was getting close to happening. And 
at a point where the conference really didn't have a choice but to go ahead and proceed. So they did have make last year's conference both in person and online, which enabled participants to continue to be involved remotely. But in-person attendance was much smaller than normal. In fact, I think at last year's conference, I attended one session in a room that held about 300 people. And I think there were maybe eight attendees and several other sessions that were not much better attended than that. So Iltacon really got a tough deal last year, but this year it was completely different. As I said, they had a full conference and it was, you know, really pretty amazing to see. And they certainly needed it after two years of either no in-person conference, which happened in 2020. And then, of course, last year's heavily pandemic-influenced conference uh, that they had, which really decimated attendance, at least in-person attendance. It's been a tough time, and I was certainly happy to see the conference come roaring back. You put together, Doug, a word cloud prior to ILTACON regarding its educational content. What did you find in your word cloud that was surprising to you? Well, yeah, absolutely. Uh, with conferences like Iltacon, I, I like to go through the educational content. And, you know, the first thing I do is throw out obvious terms like session and law that you would expect to have a lot of hits and then run a word cloud widget on what's left to see what's, what useful terms are involved in the curriculum. Anyway, what I found was that there was quite a bit of e-discovery educational content this year, and also, not surprisingly, quite a bit of educational content related to AI. So that wasn't surprising, but what was surprising to me was there was virtually no content related to data privacy. There were no sessions at all, really, about data privacy, and there was only a, a little bit, a handful of sessions related to cybersecurity. And that was surprising to me, given how strong the trends are these days, you know, with the with cyber breaches and data privacy legislation being passed and fines continuing to occur, like the $403 million Irish fine against Instagram that occurred a week or so ago. It's surprising to me that they didn't have more data privacy and cyber content in the educational sessions. And I'm certainly hoping that they'll do so next year. Well, you kind of gave us a little bit of an insight there, Doug, but can you tell our, our listeners what, in your opinion, were the highlights of this year's Iltacon? The highlights, first and foremost, to me, are the, always the ability to network with colleagues, and that was that's always one of the real benefits of an in-person conference, and it was certainly true this year. A lot of opportunities to see people in sessions, at happy hours, and, and various events, and, and it was great to catch up with people. From a, an educational standpoint, a couple of sessions that I really enjoyed. One was the Litigation Support Roundtable, which was headed up, as always, by David Horgan of Relativity. And he always does a great job. And this year's session had to do with international litigation support. So his panelists were all international panelists from around the world. One was from South America. And one of the things I learned, which was interesting to me, is that Brazil has 1.3 million lawyers and 1,800 law schools which is more law schools than all other countries combined. I didn't know that. I didn't know they had that much focus on the law there in Brazil. So that was really surprising to me. And it was great to get that international perspective to lit support trends and challenges around the world. Another trend, or excuse me, another interesting and informative session was on Microsoft's e-discovery platform, Microsoft Purview, which is 
what their governance, compliance, and e-discovery platform is now branded as. That was a session that I thought was really interesting because they talked about not just the capabilities of what Microsoft's e-discovery module can do, but also a number of challenges with it. And they had some knowledgeable speakers, including Rocky Messing, who used to work at Microsoft on the panel, as well as two people, Candy Smith and Eric Robinson, who really know a lot of, about the platform and have used it extensively. So that one was particularly informative. As I mentioned before, Iltikan has always had a great educational curriculum, and I enjoyed several sessions while I was there covering the show's press. Well, before we move on to our next segment, let's take a quick commercial break. Be the best resource you can for your Spanish-speaking clients with the Spanish Group's Legal Translation Service. Experienced translators ensure accurate translation of your documents with same-day delivery. Confidentiality is ensured, and the Spanish Group guarantees acceptance for certified translations. All that, and their rates are competitive. If you need other languages, the Spanish Group translates in over 140 languages. Mention Legal Talk 20 when you request your quote for 20% off your first translation. Visit thespanishgroup.org. Delegate out those tasks that take up your time. Staffy can help you with your legal, administrative, marketing, and even client-facing workload. Hiring Staffy's top-notch bilingual virtual staff means Staffy does the recruiting, hiring, and training for you. Then, if you need a change, Staffy handles it. You get to concentrate on your strategic work. Schedule a free consultation at staffy.cc. That's S-T-A-F-I dot C-C and get $500 off with code HAPPY24. Welcome back to Digital Detectives on the Legal Talk Network. Today, our topic is Iltacon Roars Back in 2022. Here's what you missed. Today, our guest is our friend Doug Austin, an established e-discovery thought leader with over 30 years of experience providing e-discovery best practices, legal technology consulting, and technical project management services to numerous commercial and government clients. Doug has published a daily blog since 2010 and has written numerous articles and white papers, receiving the J.D. Super Reader's Choice Award as a top e-discovery author and top cybersecurity author as well. Doug, before the break, you were talking about the highlights from from Miltacon. What about any lowlights? Were there any? And if so, can you talk a little bit about it? I wouldn't say there were too many lowlights. It was a pretty successful conference. Uh, A couple of things that I would point out, at least that I heard from attendees at the conference, that uh, was notable. They chose not to offer breakfast to attendees this year. Honestly, I, I kind of understood that decision because I could understand why they'd be looking to save some cost after the last two years where they likely lost money on the conference. So they only offered lunch to attendees and some people were upset that they didn't offer breakfast as well as they've done in previous years. I was also personally surprised this year that they didn't offer any meals to press attendees, which makes me sound like a whiny press guy. Um, but there were <laughs> there were maybe only 20 total press attendees at the conference, so there really wouldn't have been more than 60 to 80 total meals they would have to provide to us. I'm not sure why they did that, especially when we were encouraged to talk to people at meals to get their sense of the conference. But, you know, I'll get off my soapbox about that. <laughs> Regardless, 
The other thing they did that was part highlight and part low light was they had an investor hub. And, you know, they had a number of startup companies, a startup alley in the exhibitor hall. And they had the startup companies present their capabilities and talk about their funding needs and goals, which was kind of sort of like a shark tank but without the bidding. But it was still a presentation and what they're looking for and what their, what their plans are. It was very interesting. I attended a little bit of it. It was on the last day, but the problem was that it really got very little promotion. So I'd love for the, to see uh, next year for them to promote it more and maybe move it a little earlier in the conference and maybe even put it in a bigger room where more people can attend and watch. For me personally, it was really fascinating and I enjoyed attending. So hopefully that's something I'll consider for next year. I noticed, Doug, that you didn't mention as a low light the shortage of coffee, which is usually, I know, pre-pandemic what conferences the attendees usually complained about. <laughs> yeah, I didn't actually see a, a problem with that this year. It seemed like their, the, the coffee was in pretty good uh, supply there. <laughs> of course, they had, a, they had a sponsor for the coffee, and I'm sure that, helped, that had something to do with it. But yes, always got to have coffee at conferences. That's a, that's a, uh, that's a deal breaker. It certainly is. And no matter what conference you go to, the coffee is always a point of discussion. <laughs> it, it, it is indeed. From an e-discovery perspective, Doug, how does ILTACON stack up with other legal tech conferences in attendance and in educational content? So I would say Ilticon is certainly, from a size standpoint, one of the larger legal tech conferences every year. It's certainly one I always have on my calendar every year. It's quite a bit more law firm influenced than corporate influenced in terms of attendees. I would say even more so, I thought, this year. So one of the things that I found interesting is while there were a number of e-discovery companies there, there weren't that many who were actually exhibitors and sponsors of Ilticon. I would say maybe a dozen or so. Certainly most of the big names were there, and they were very noticeable in terms of sponsorship and, and, and so forth. But there were a lot of companies who typically exhibit at conferences who weren't exhibiting at Ilticon. And I'm not sure if that's because they're pushing more towards the corporate audience or some other reason. I would say that that's the difference of Ilticon when you compare it to some other, maybe some other conferences like a conference like Clock, which has become really big from an e-discovery perspective. And a lot of e-discovery companies are now attending that conference. Again, as I mentioned, from an educational standpoint, content-wise, it was terrific as always. The sessions were interesting. They were informative. The speakers were great. And Ilticon always does a great job with the educational content. And they probably had uh, more e-discovery-related sessions than most Ilticons I've attended. So they did a great job there. Doug, you mentioned cybersecurity early on. What's a dialogue about regarding cybersecurity at conferences like Ilticon? Honestly, I would say it's probably sparse and insufficient. And uh, and that's really not just applied to Ulticon. I think many conferences don't spend enough time and enough content, enough session time on cyber and data privacy. Certainly, as you know, John and Sharon, there are so many stories out there and so many trends to deal with with regard to cybersecurity. I mean, it seems like there's a notable, notable data breach happening every day. There's trends with regards to the cost of cyber insurance. There were concerns earlier this year about what the Russia-Ukraine conflict would do from a cybersecurity standpoint. A lot of us remember there were vulnerabilities like the Log4J Log Apache vulnerability from late last year that had massive impact. So many websites had to update their systems and do it quickly. 
And legal tech conferences in general just aren't talking enough about cybersecurity and best practices and what trends you need to look out for. And that's something I would recommend not for not just ILTACON to consider, but other conferences, Legal Week, Clock, you name it. They should all be looking to put more cybersecurity into their curriculum because I think it's one of the more, most important legal tech considerations or even general considerations for organizations today. But Sharon, obviously one of the first blogs I turn to when I'm looking for a topic to cover is your Ride the Lightning blog. It's terrific. And I can usually find quickly some sort of cyber story, which is usually not necessarily good news to cover. So <laughs> I'm, I'm certainly grateful to you and Ride the Lightning for those topic ideas. But it's also a reflection that all the those data breach stories and cyber attack trends, I think, reflect just how many challenges there are in cybersecurity today. So unfortunately, their bad news is topic content gold for people like you and me, Sharon. Well, it does work out that way, and I guess that's okay, too. We've certainly seen a huge surge in people asking for CLEs on cybersecurity, and there does seem to be a shortage of qualified presenters that people seem to gravitate to. But it is something that if you're not secure and you're not securing your data, the devastation that comes from a data breach is just phenomenal. And not till you've gone through it do you realize how bad it might be. <laughs> Yeah. Oh, absolutely. And we've, you know, we've seen that a couple of e-discovery providers have been hit by ransomware attacks. So it, it, it influences our industry as well. And it's just unavoidable today. Well, let's go a little bit more general and tell me how you think in-person legal tech conferences have changed since the pandemic. So I think one of the things that's changed about legal tech conferences is that the registration patterns uh, tend to be much more last minute. People are holding back longer just to make sure there aren't going to be any challenges before they decide to register and attend. And I think that was certainly the case with Ilticon, which when we had a press briefing a few weeks before the conference, they said they were targeting, I think, something like 2,100 to 2,300 total attendees. And they wound up with 3,000 and actually stopped taking registrations. So I think that's one of the things we're seeing. I think we're seeing that companies are looking as long as possible at whether there's going to be travel issues from a health consideration before committing. They're also looking at, I think, at what the cost of travel is going to be, because that's highly variable these days with gas prices so volatile. Flights were super cheap earlier this year when I bought a ticket for Legal Week. Then they got super expensive when I bought a ticket for Ilticon. And now they're, they've settled a little bit in between. So I think it's a lot of factors that are causing organizations to put off decisions and to make last-minute decisions or certainly decisions within the last two or three weeks to decide to attend. You know, from my standpoint as a press participant at Ulticon and at other conferences, one of the things I've noticed is that I a lot of people start reaching out to me maybe a couple of weeks before the conference to try to meet, where they used to reach out to me a month or more before the conference. So I think that's one of the things that we're seeing is last minute or at least later decisions to attend conferences. Yeah, I think that's true. And of course, we're seeing more hybrid conferences where there is both a in-person and a remote component as well. We are, although obviously for some conferences, the money's to be made having people there in person. So that's certainly, Ilticon chose to be a, a totally in person this year. I think so did Legal Week as well. So I think a lot of them are kind of moving back towards the traditional in person and hoping for the best. 
Well, before we move on to our next segment, let's take a quick commercial break. If you're like me, you're probably a bit frustrated with the state of our political system today. Democracy Decoded, a podcast by Campaign Legal Center, examines our government and discusses innovative ideas that could lead to a stronger, more transparent, accountable, and inclusive democracy. Listen at democracydecoded.org to their new season, which takes a deep dive into democracy at the state and local level by highlighting different ways to ensure that every voter's voice is heard. Filing court documents, serving legal papers, collecting electronic signatures, all critical parts of the litigation process, yet ones that are time-consuming and error-prone. But what if you could do more straight from your case or document management software? InfoTrack automates data entry, document selection, tracking, and information syncing across all these core tasks and more by integrating with your core systems like Clio, Smokeball, Leap, MyCase, and others. Spend more time on substantive legal work and less time on busy work. Learn how simple it can be at infotrack.com simple. Welcome back to Digital Detectives on the Legal Talk Network. Today, our topic is, Iltacon roars back in 2022, here's what you missed. Today, our guest is Doug Austin, an established e-discovery thought leader with over 30 years of experience providing e-discovery best practices, legal technology consulting, and technical project management services to numerous commercial and government clients. So what factors do you think organizations consider today when they decide whether to attend a legal conference? That has certainly shifted with the pandemic. I would say it has, but I also would say that it always comes down to one thing, which is ROI. And certainly I would say that an organization has to look at ROI when it comes to attending a legal tech conference. If you're an exhibitor, from their standpoint, that's what they have to look at. You know, what do they get from being an exhibitor and being a sponsor of a conference? Do they build their name recognition? Do they establish those contacts that eventually turn into clients for them downstream? You don't really make many sales at conferences like these. So the ROI takes a while to determine. Just doesn't, you know, you don't leave the conference saying, oh, well, we're set. It usually takes a little bit of time. From an attendee looking to get good quality education, I think the key is what types of topics are they covering that would make it worthwhile and maybe make it essentially more value than they would get if they went to some sort of specialized training or even attended webinars online remotely instead of having to travel. A lot of official attendees and non-official attendees who are people who are there but not registered for the conference are also there to conduct meetings with clients, partners, and providers. And conferences like ILTACON always have an additional contingent of people uh, looking to uh, conduct meetings there because people are all, all in one place. So there's always an extra contingent with any, with any conference like that. So it's all about ROI, and that's true even for me as a blogger. I'm meeting with potential clients and existing clients and furthering relationships at these conferences as well. I was able to do that during the last two ILTA conferences I attended, even last year when it was so minimally attended. So I look at my own ROI for each conference as well, since my travel budget's my own now. And I, uh, <laughs> I have to decide, it's coming out of my pocket, so I have to decide whether the ROI is there before I decide to attend a legal tech conference. And I think that's certainly what others have to look at as well. 
Will the benefit be there? Will the opportunities be there to further business or further education or expand networking and get your name out there? I think all of that factors into ROI when it comes to attending legal tech conferences. What do you think is the future of in-person legal tech conferences in terms of the benefits and the challenges? Well, I think despite what some people have said, I really feel like in-person legal tech conferences are here to stay. And I think they're as important as ever. We're still seeing people who want to attend them, who find benefits in attending them. And that was so clear at this year's Iltacon in terms of just really... I think the joy that a lot of attendees had in getting back into in-person legal tech conferences. It's just after having some of us, uh, some folks having not done it for so long, it just was, uh, you could see just the, uh, how much they were enjoying it. So certainly from a benefit standpoint, the ability to network and the ability to just really get to meet and get to know your colleagues better, I think is one of the biggest benefits. You can get education online, but you can't do the networking and some of the other things online. You can only do those things in person. And I think that's one of the biggest benefits of in-person legal tech conferences. From a challenge standpoint, obviously in this era of the pandemic and variable travel costs, those are the challenges that are going to cause some companies and some organizations to decide not to attend. And that's understandable. Again, I think for them, it goes back to ROI, and I think you're going to see probably some variability for in-person legal tech conference attendance based on the climate at the time from a health standpoint and a cost standpoint. It's so highly variable these days that companies are going to have to make last-minute decisions on whether they attend these conferences. But I do still think they provide a lot of benefits, and I'm looking to attend as many in-person legal tech conferences as I can that I can justify from an ROI and budget standpoint. Well, I'm sure there's a lot of people who feel exactly the same way. And here in Virginia, we're having interesting discussions about which conferences should be in person, which should be fully remote, whether they should be hybrid. And the the conversations just go on and on and on. So I appreciate hearing all of your thoughts about this. And thank you, Doug, for being with us today. It's always a joy to have you. It's nice to have a, a friend to talk to and really appreciate the fact that we have been friends for so long and we love talking to you about some of this stuff you do get around, as they say. So thanks <laughs> thanks for sharing what you learned with us. <laughs> uh, well, thanks, Sharon and John. I'm like a bad penny. You can't get rid of me in my and and my two to three blog posts today. So, uh, uh, but but I, I, it's always a pleasure to talk to you guys. I love being on Digital Detectives, and uh, have me back anytime. <laughs> you can count on it. Well, that does it for this edition of Digital Detectives. And remember, you can subscribe to all the editions of this podcast at LegalTalkNetwork.com or on Apple Podcasts. And if you enjoyed our podcast, please rate us on Apple Podcasts. And you can find out more about Sensei's digital forensics, managed technology, and managed cybersecurity services at SENSEIENT.com. We'll see you next time on Digital Detectives. Thanks for listening to Digital Detectives on the Legal Talk Network. Check out some of our other podcasts on LegalTalkNetwork.com and in iTunes.